0: Thank you for joining us for another Carlton Fields podcast. The events surrounding the coronavirus outbreak have created immediate and dynamic issues for the financial sector. We are likely to see distress situations unlike anything since 2007 and 2008. In this podcast, which has been adapted from a webinar, a panel of Carlton Fields attorneys will discuss key issues facing the industry and what lenders can do to prepare for the inevitable defaults.
1: This is Donald Kirk. Uh, it is one o two, and I know that there are still a couple of people joining, but uh, we also know how busy everybody is. <clears throat> um, first, thank you for joining uh, this call in these uh, busy times. This is Donald Kirk with Carlton Fields, um, and, and we're about to start our program. Uh, so, yesterday uh, I was walking uh, by the television, and um, the stock market pricing was on, and it was falling. And the first thought I had as I was walking by at that particular time was, you know, I wonder what's going to happen with margin calls. I came back, sat down, and about 30 minutes later, um, I got a phone call from a dear friend um, who was very concerned because her elderly parents were having margin calls happening in real time. Um, And it reminded me of two things from 2007, 2008. First, on the borrower side, there was just outright panic, um, but it also um occurred to me that um on the on the lender side, there was just massive confusion in real time things were happening in real time people didn 't know what to do, and that there is significant reputational risk <clears throat> um out there right now if you take some action. Um, So during the last week, I think we've seen some rapid-fire news, unlike we've seen since the Lehman Brothers AIG days um, 12, 13 years ago. It's ravaged our financial markets. It's destroyed balance sheets, retirement plans, and it's put at risk massive entities like Boeing and American Air. But what we also learned um, a few years ago are things that that we can do today, and that is in particular that while there is short-term hurt and short-term anxiety, There's going to be a future, there's going to be a tomorrow, and there will be a time when all of this passes and the markets return to some level of normalcy. Um, 12, 13 years ago, we learned something else important, and that is early crisis planning can certainly help alleviate some of this, help you weather the storm in two fundamental ways. First, um, that early planning could have a material long-term impact on your portfolio, And second, it may be more important um, that that type of planning can provide you with some level of calm, disciplined structure to your team's approach, which will give reassurance to your team. Um, So those plans have to be, I think, measured, thoughtful, proactive, and if you implement them today, two, three, six months, you should have some dividends. So we designed today's call in reaction to emails and calls we started getting a few days ago from our clients. Looking for thoughts about how they plan to navigate these waters, this program is designed to address some of the um, immediate emergency steps and issues that we 're starting to see from our clients that we 're hearing about and While we recognize that this is fluid and evolving, um, we can only cover so much in this short amount of time <clears throat> so we 're going to cover what we have heard initially as the biggest issues quickly a broad overview today. Um, We recognize we've already gotten some other questions, um, and so we may have another one of these next week or so to address some additional uh, concerns. Um, So with that, let's just jump in right away. Um, First of all, the overview, the rules, uh, everybody should be on mute. Um, If you want to unmute, you push pound, pound, one on your phone and then mute back on, pound, pound, one. Uh, this is being recorded for a potential podcast. If you have questions, please email Alexander Bly at ablye at carltonfields.com. Please make the question, put your name, <clears throat> and at the end of this, we'll have a 15-minute Q&A, and, and she'll discuss this then. From a road mapping perspective, we're going to spend 20, 25 minutes <clears throat> going through some initial substantive topics, um, uh, which we'll get to right after this, and um, and then we're going to have a 10-minute presentation by a client who is going to talk about what they're doing from their perspective um, in terms of logistics and everything else like that. We think that'll be very helpful for, for everybody. Um, our team, uh, uh, quickly, is myself, Donald Kirk. I'm the head of our bankruptcy group, <clears throat> which has about 15 Professionals, co head of our business litigation group with about 75 professionals across the country at Carlton Fields. Uh, My co head um, of uh, business litigation, Rick Gross, who has a very special emphasis on special servicing. Kathy McElroy, um, who has vast bankruptcy and foreclosure experience. Alexander Bly, my West Palm Beach partner, who straddles both sides of the real estate uh, transactional and bankruptcy side. Alan Grunspan, who uh, I would define as the quintessential bank lawyer. And then finally, last but not least, and we certainly thank him for his time, David Harrison, who is responsible for business development, strategy and account management at Midland Loan Services. And he's also um, a member of that firm's senior leadership team. So with that, um, let's jump to our substantive topics. The first one, um, Alan, will you talk briefly about uh, two things. One, continuing advances on lines of credit. Do you do it? Do you not? And two, uh, non-monetary defaults, particularly with uh, covenants, probably in intro right now.
2: Thank you, Donald. Uh, this feels eerily familiar to me, although we've been here before, but it se- feels somehow worse because I guess it's just begun. Uh, we've done some informal polling among lenders some banks are taking a pretty friendly, easy approach to mispayments payments than others. Some are taking the position that if you raise your hand and you say you need relief, you get an automatic 90-day deferral, no questions asked. Others are taking a more case-by-case approach depending on loan size and requiring updated financial information before making a decision. But the majority, I find, are simply granting a 90-day payment deferral and requiring updated financials from borrowers and guarantors within a few weeks, or else they're going to pull the plug on the deferral. Um, No one so far has said that they're completely waiving payments. It's simply a deferral at this point, Uh, but we're we're young in the day. But each approach raises its own issues of modification and waiver. So whichever approach you choose, we would recommend a short letter agreement that includes a standard reservation of rights and non-waiver language. Uh, Because you've got the world of borrowers asking for payment deferrals, how how are you going to address, on top of payment deferrals, requests for fresh advances on existing lines of credit in the middle of a worldwide crisis that affects nearly every sector and every business, which is the very definition of material adverse change? In good times, we know from experience that relying solely on a material adverse change or a MAC clause is not viewed well by judges. Now, when the world's in crisis, relying solely on a MAC clause will be perceived as bullying and kicking someone when they're down, when in fact the whole world is down. And eventually, our decisions, these decisions, are going to be measured and second-guessed in the rearview mirror with the very unsympathetic benefit of hindsight. But how do you advance on a line if a business owner has had to shut its doors or been ordered to shut its doors and had to lay off staff? And it's pretty hard to tell when and if they're going to reopen, or if they intend to use the advance um, to keep keep employees intact, or if they simply intend to use the money to pay down their own mortgage. Um, they've got personal living expenses, mounting credit card bills, etc. And how can you know that when they tell you that they're only temporarily closed? And they're trying to keep their business afloat in the breach. If you have a borrowing-based loan, you could look to receivables. But if it's a regular line of credit, the bank has to make a pretty hard call. You've got borrowers that are a pretty nervous bunch right now. They're worried about the future of their business and availability of working capital. And you've got people looking for fresh advances in the middle of a worldwide crisis. Um, we're living in the world of material adverse change virtually everywhere. Um, that's why many of the large, sophisticated borrowers like Blackstone had all their portfolio companies draw down all available lines of credit in the last couple weeks. They borrowed money and parked uh, the money in other banks waiting to deploy the money. They wanted to take that discretion away from banks. But discretion is what you now have. And you now have, on top of decisions as to whether to um, determine whether somebody is in violation of the Material Average Change Clause, who to fund and who to not fund. And it's that kind of discretion is not, that decision point is not one size fits all. Each situation is going to be fact and document specific. And there's gonna be some clear situations that warrant no further advances, but in most cases, we, we would not recommend stopping advances based on a MAC clause alone because you've got businesses that are in crisis mode and this is the time when they really need their available lines of credit. At the same time, you don't wanna put good money after bad, and if the bank is inclined to put the brakes on, it should be based on what you can substantiate today. So you want to rely on as many covenants as possible. For example, is the borrower currently violating a a financial covenant ratio, or are they past due in financial reporting? If they are, tell them, and that will give you some time and cover to analyze things. And I would be prophylactically sending out notices for any past due financials. But the paradox with that is that even if you have updated financials, you're operating under an information gap because there's a big lag between what's happening today in real time and the financial statements from last quarter or even this quarter. And as this quarter ends, you're not gonna get financials for several weeks and even that won't fully truly reflect what's happened in just the last couple of weeks or what we know is likely to happen (coughs) over the next few months. On top of that, a lot of your loan agreements don't require monthly financials or even quarterly, which puts you further in the dark. So then the question comes up, what do you do if the borrower is asking for payment relief and still wants to continue borrowing on their line? And some banks are saying, you get a payment deferral and they're gonna still make advances, and others are saying no, you get one or the other. But of course you can use advances to make loan payments. One factor is if a borrower was was in payment or covenant default before all of this started or if they simply shut down the business. But again, it's going to depend on your documents. And if you previously noticed uh, a default and if there's any cure period, some lenders are saying that with a good customer, even if the business is down for now and there's a good indication it's going to reopen and they're using advances to retain key employees, they're going to advance despite a MAC clause. Um, Does the business have a plan in writing? Do the underlying assumptions make sense? And if you decide to advance, you you absolutely need to include a reservation of rights and non-waiver letter because you may decide a month from now to stop advancing and you don't want to be deemed to have waived your rights having already advanced under similar conditions. In other words, don't turn a good thing that you did into a bad thing that a borrower can use against you later to claim waiver or estoppel because we know that in desperate times, no good turn goes unpunished. The bottom line is just be careful and deliberate. Substantiate and document. History is going to reward you for it, but just be careful about what you put in emails and texts, internal and external. If you're going to put the brakes on, use prior mispayments or financial ratios that you can substantiate today, not a standalone MAC clause, unless, of course, the change to the business is so significant, so drastic that it's not going to recover. Most cases won't be that clear cut because some of this is art, not just science. It's going to be case by case. So your decisions have to be based on what you can concretely substantiate and be aware that you may find yourself in front of an unsympathetic judge down the road. And worse, if a business files for bankruptcy, there could be an adversary where the borrower is going to blame the bank for putting it under by failing to fund its line of credit when the business needed it most. You're going to have tough calls to make, and if you need to bounce it off of litigators or bankruptcy people, we can certainly help do that. Um, Some of these decisions are going to require real tradecraft and an extra set of experienced eyes, and, of course, an ounce of prevention. In terms of when to call covenant defaults, I think it's nearly universal right now that most customers have or will trigger financial covenants. It's gonna be equally true that lenders are not gonna be calling the loan because you would have to call almost every, every loan. But you, you do wanna send out at least a temporary waiver letter, reservation of rights, because again, you don't wanna turn a good thing into a bad thing that the borrower can use against you later to claim a waiver or estoppel. Lenders should also be looking to update their policies and procedures to recognize this crisis situation as any other crisis situation as one factor in the decision making process. Donald, did I leave anything out?
1: No, you didn't. Um, uh, but I did leave something out, Alan, and that is uh, introducing Dan Weedy, who's uh, our partner in Atlanta on the real estate transactional side. He is um, going to speak next on what is sort of the flip side of what Alan talked about, which is all right, so you've got a default that's declared. You know, we're going to find some novel defenses come up. Dan is an expert in some of these novel defenses in this particular circumstances. Dan, can you talk about some of
3: these? I can. And we're, uh, I'm going to go quick. Cause we're already, I think, uh, 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 kind of a little bit behind here, but you've probably been getting a lot of emails on force majeure. Uh, what I want to sort of stress to everybody is force majeure, you know, it's, that's not a common law principle. It is, it's, if it's not in the contract you, there are no force majeure rights. I would, Go out on a limb here and say virtually there's probably no lender form documents um, in the country that would include force major. Now maybe that's been negotiated away, so it's that that is probably not um, a, a significant risk. But having there's but there's two related concepts that I want to touch on or just make you aware of very quickly. And that's the impossibility and impracticability and frustration of purchase, uh, of frustration of purpose. Now, impossibility and impracticability is generally the same thing what is interesting and really unprecedented there's so much unprecedented that we've been hearing about this week right what is what is unprecedented is when we when we consider impossibility it's typically thought of in like you know acts of god nature meteorological you know having pandemic it has it's just not there's just nothing really out there and what what triggers it um is acts of god an impossibility to perform and illegal acts of it's illegal now uh at the beginning donald talked about being there's a there's a um there's new fresh rules in miami you know there's there's going to be for, there in there in the, in the coming days we're going to see more of that whether it hit whether it rises to being illegal to come to work or illegal to do something it's just a, it's a uh it's a novel, very novel uh position to take. So um it uh it's something that everybody should be aware of. I think you're I think we probably will see borrowers raise it. Uh again back to what uh Donald said in the very beginning, we kinda all are in this together. We have to work it out. So I don't think it's going to it's going to hinge on that. But it's certainly something you're gonna really want to w- be aware of and it's certainly something that um if you have any questions or if you're, uh, you have any follow up questions regarding the specific elements or examples of either of those, you can just email us here and send you a primer on it. That's all I got. Oh, one, one former issue. A lot of times you'll get, as well, even if there is, typically, of course, we have the loan document and, the, and then the, um, the guarantee. You probably have, You probably have language in your guarantee that says, hey, even if there's a force majeure or act of God or or impossibility, you, guarantor, you're still on the line. So just because this does trigger, you are not, you know, it's not without hope and it's not without arguments. And you're, you're, um, you could also have some waiver language in the contract itself. So if you have language that just says you waive impossibility, you waive this, you can, that would be, uh, that would trump, but you would, uh, you may have some clever uh, borrowers who are raising these issues. So just stand by. Hey,
1: uh, Dan, thanks for that. I mean, this is an issue we're hearing from all the time. And so certainly, uh, if you have any follow-up questions, email us. Uh, you know, this is very state-specific, but it's certainly something we, we think we'll see uh, quite a bit. Um, next, I'm going to talk very quickly just about bankruptcy planning. I'll be quick. Um, you know, from uh, we don't anticipate bankruptcies immediately, but certainly when cash runs out, which is likely sometime this summer, uh, we anticipate some uptick. Um, and there's things that you can do now. Um, first, of course, the obvious, scrub your files. Uh, last go around, we saw significant issues with loan files, legal descriptions that were incorrect, liens that were not properly perfected or updated um, crosses that, that don't exist that people thought there were the bankruptcy courts are going to hold your feet to the fire on these. Uh, They're going to look for ways to let the borrower have some extra time. And if you have any issues with this, um, that's going to be a problem for you. That's an obvious, but you know, fix them now because if you fix them now and then 90 days run, which is likely um, you could avoid some preference exposure um, to, you know, if if you file litigation now, if you pursue litigation now, you you're going to face reputational uh, risk. I mean, that is just a fact and the courts are going to make you pay for it. Um, but there are certainly things you can do outside of litigation um, to prepare for the bankruptcy. And that is basically bolstering uh, your position through a forbearance, which we'll talk about in a second. But in those forbearances from a bankruptcy perspective, you can certainly put things in like a waiver of claims um, that is enforceable in bankruptcy Um, an automatic stay relief. And and while that's not, uh, we don't know, you can certainly try to put that in, but generally speaking, um, that is un, unenforceable practically because the bankruptcy courts are going to make you prove whether it was an overbearing provision at the time, and that'll take just as long as the stay relief process in terms of time and cost. Um, however, you can try to get some letters of credit as collateral. That's certainly not stayed by the bankruptcy, and that is um, a nice way to bolster your 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 uh, your collateral package. And then finally, consider adding guarantees other uh, collateral to your forbearance package. While they may, uh, there might be some risk of avoidance in bankruptcy, at the end of the day, that's going to take an adversary proceeding, which is timely, costly, expensive, and that just means leverage for you in that situation. So um, there are steps you can take. This is just a short list. Um, but I mentioned forbearance, um, and that is something that you know, everyone should be thinking about having a form right now ready to go. Rick, can you talk about uh, forbearance issues and what people can be doing now to get ready for this?
4: Absolutely, Donald. Thanks. Um, To start off, I think we all have to understand that one size doesn't fit all circumstances. I think while there's probably a a thought to give forbearance in many circumstances, you still got to look at this in a case-by-case basis. It depends on the sponsor. It depends on the asset type. It depends if the loan's already in default or if this is a request by the borrower, which would be treated as an imminent default. Um, it appears from discussions that 90 to 120 days seems to be the number, but it, that may not be it for all. I think when you're engaging in these kind of communications with the borrower... Um, You just got to be careful. You try to get your pre-negotiation letters in place. But in any communication that you have, you should include non-waiver of rights language, any payments that are received, even partial payments, every one of them should have a reservation of rights letter go out upon receipt of payment. Um, For the the P&As, I think there are a couple of things that you want in there. You can't get everything, but you need to get the following. Borrower has to acknowledge that the loan's in default, if that's applicable. The borrower should acknowledge the exact amounts owed. The borrower should acknowledge that the loan agreements are still in force and effect. And lastly, but most importantly, the borrower, you need to determine who speaks for the borrower. There are a lot of occasions where we get borrowers' reps involved and the like, and it's very difficult for the asset manager, the lender, to be able to determine who they have to speak to. Um, Those, I think, are key terms to get. Obviously, a lot of your pre-negotiation letters have more. Not all of that would be um, enforceable. It's a state-by-state issue. Um, A couple of things just to follow up on what Donald said about reviewing the loan file. If you're talking about CMBS or CLO loans, make sure that the loan is properly assigned to the correct entity or trust. Um, We saw a lot of that in the last downturn of the beginning, and with specifically hospitality assets, and there's a lot of that going on right now, make sure you have a comfort letter in your loan file and make sure that comfort letter is in the name of the right entity, because if you try to seek it now, it's going to be um, really hard to get that from a franchisor. In terms of forbearance, basically, there are two types of agreements. One, where the lender sees little chance for the borrower to turn the property around. Um, The restructure would simply delay the inevitable. Or the lender believes that the property struggles are are fairly short-term or result from a broad systematic distribution, i.e., the coronavirus. And so I think you can look at it different ways. There are different types of agreement for different situations. Um, I'm going to plug this a bunch of us prepared at Carlton Fields, prepared an article on forbearance and things to do. We hope to have that out by the end of this call, if not later this afternoon, we'll blast it out via our email chain, social media and the like. Dan authored it. I worked on it. Others did as well. It'll have some sample forms again, you know, they're samples, not every, not e- you have to look at each circumstance, but I think it'll give some helpful hints on those sort of issues. Um, I want to just follow up what Donald said. In terms of the forbearance, you can turn it into a full mod as well, but I think in this situation with what we're dealing with, keep your forbearance uh, remedies in the mod and even maybe call it a mod forbearance. A lot of that is done. Something that's something that the servicers don't always do, lenders traditionally do that but it's something to think about but in the forbearance make sure you get a release of all claims that the borrower has through the date that that forbearance is executed preserve all your rights and remedies um, and and go forward the other thing that I've been asked to address and this came up on a number of uh, communications that we had with you setting this up is business insurance business interruption insurance it's our perspective based on the policies we've looked at um, that they're just it doesn't apply in this situation. Back in oh six oh seven, the carriers um, included a virus um, exclusion in all of the business interruption policies. It may not have been. Determined for this virus. It might have been thinking more about computer viruses, but it's there, it's applicable, and it's our belief that that's going to take uh, coverage in this area at this point in time. We will say, however, that we've heard that a number of state legislatures are looking at that issue and um, are trying to work around the exclusion. I think that would interfere with the right to contract and. Well, the courts will ultimately decide that, but that's where things are from a business interruption insurance perspective. Donald?
1: Yeah, <clears throat> thanks, Rick. Um, so uh, assuming all of these things um, don't work out and you have to head to litigation, uh, you know, one of the things we're thinking about is, okay, so we're in foreclosure. What what are the issues we need to be dealing with there? And, and maybe more importantly, what is the state of the judicial system right now? We're getting a lot of that uh, Kathy McElroy has been on top of just trying to keep up with what courts are doing um, and what a foreclosure might look like in this day and age. Kathy, can you talk to us about this?
5: Yes. Um, I think Rick is correct, having talked in the last few days to a number of our lending clients. Um, most of them are looking at very short-term forbearances, but um, that just really pushes the, the problem a little farther down the road and there may come a point in time when this could look again like 2007-2008 with respect to foreclosures. Uh, The sense is that right now that lenders are likely to work with borrowers who have equity in their property, but if um, the crisis continues to weaken the economy in general, will valuations change? And I think that's one of the open issues, and if valuations do change, does that leave lenders with fewer and fewer options to work with borrowers. Uh, we anticipate seeing, um, in addition to the types of things that you normally see in a foreclosure as far as defenses, maybe some novel defenses. And Dan talks a little bit about force majeure impossibility, impracticability, frustration of purpose, and, and, and the need for, in fact, sometimes for there to be a, a violation of law in order for some of those defenses to come into place. And Um, you may want to think about it in your local state, um, there there may be laws that make it illegal to violation of public closure order or to violation of a quarantine, and they may be able to try to create that criminality necessary to get some sort of excuse-type defense. Um, Given what we saw in 2007-2008, it's likely that if foreclosures start that the courts are going to be backlogged because the court's have been slowing down their processes because of the virus. Um, So, again, in states that have judicial foreclosures versus non-judicial foreclosures, you're likely to see maybe 2007, 2008, all over again. Um, With respect to where the the judiciary is and where the judicial system is, on the federal side, the administrative office of the U.S. courts put together a task force of judges and court um, officials to make sure that they balance the safety of courthouse employees, um, public health concerns, and the functioning of the judicial system. On the state sides, we're seeing the same thing where the Supreme Courts or the other senior courts are trying to do the same thing. Um, There are a number of things to think about and look at with the court system. First, there's the access to the physical courthouse itself. And what we're seeing there is that in most locales, there's some level of restriction those restrictions go all the way from the courthouse is completely closed because we have an employee who's been infected, to some level of um, slowing of activity because of that. Um, You know, the, the hearings are being handled telephonically that only people are invited in for certain essential functions and only skeletal staff is in place. Those restrictions are rapidly changing and to the extent you believe you have a court proceeding that's going forward, it's important to check with the particular court. With respect to filing, um, one of the bright spots in all of this is that states that have enacted electronic filing in in the entire federal system, um, business as usual has gone on with respect to filings of papers and motions with the exception of pro se parties. Um, Courts are making exceptions for pro se filers, setting up drop boxes, and doing things like that to allow people to continue to protect their rights without having to risk coming into a courthouse and putting themselves and or court staff at risk. Um, The court filings appear to be basically continue without um, interruption because of the ability to file electronically. That could change if there comes a time when courts are not able to maintain their electronic systems. Right now, they're doing that remotely in a lot of locations, and things seem to be holding up pretty well. With respect to hearings, again, we're seeing a little bit of everything. Uh, In a lot of places um, there have been changes, some places there have not. In in almost every situation, essential and emergency hearings are going forward, and they are usually defined and pretty limited to things like injunctions, domestic violence, mental health cases, uh, key criminal proceedings, things like that, first appearances in criminal cases, Some courts are holding all hearings telephonically. Some courts are requiring hearings to be held only in large courtrooms rather than in chambers or small small hearing rooms. Some courts are limiting hearings to just non evidentiary hearings and they're being handled either telephonically or in courtrooms. Some are canceling all evidentiary hearings. Some are taking evidentiary hearings on a case-by-case basis. Some are encouraging parties to agree to continuances to dates down the road. Um, So it's important, if you've got hearings coming up, to check with courts for the most recent guidance. But I think the bottom line with all of this is that there's going to be backlogs of hearings and there's going to be a scramble to reschedule things that have been canceled once the crisis passes. With respect to deadlines, some courts are entering administrative orders extending Mm -hmm. deadlines. Some courts have not done that. Um, We are cautioning our lawyers and clients to be very careful because there are some deadlines that are jurisdictional and cannot be extended. And it, for those tend to be, and they vary by state, but things like motions for new trial, motion for rehearing or to amend a judgment, motions for relief under a judgment, uh, notices of appeal, um, um, motions for a directed verdict, things like that. So those types of things you need to be careful about because those deadlines can't be extended by agreement and probably can't be extended by administrative orders unless the statutes or court rules specifically provide for it. Um, what we're cautioning our clients and our lawyers are is that the administrative orders, although they're well intentioned, um, are often ambiguous and they were drafted, uh, crypt- you know, in a hurry without a lot of thought to the parsing that may occur later. And because of that, there may be situations down the road where people try to use the uh, reliance on uh, the extension of a deadline against the opposing party. So we, we're cautioning great care in in determining whether or not deadlines need to be met. Um, The Bankruptcy Court has issued some blanket orders in most jurisdictions extending all of the deadlines that trigger off the 341 meetings because the 341 Mm -hmm. meetings have in fact been canceled.
0: Um,
5: So you need to look out for that and make sure you're carefully paying attention to deadlines for things like 727 actions and 523 actions. Challenges to discharge and dischargeability. there's some moratoriums that are either being talked about or implemented um, because of the financial impact and shutdowns and the like. Uh, we expect to see moratoriums in a lot of jurisdictions on both evictions and foreclosures, and they could be on the residential and on the commercial side, particularly because of the mandates of shutdowns of certain types of businesses in the hospitality industry. Uh, the uh, FHA has announced an immediate um a ban on foreclosures and evictions for single-family homes uh, for FHA-insured mortgages for the next 60 days. Um, and and they've directed servicers to halt all foreclosure actions and suspend all pending pr- foreclosure proceedings. So even those who have not been impacted by the crisis, people who are already mid-foreclosure are getting some relief at this point in time. And they've also directed um, that all evictions of any FHA-insured single-family property, um, there there'd be no evictions for the next 60 days. So even though there may be pre-crisis defaults, those evictions are being stopped as well. Um, FHA is encouraging servicers to offer mitigation and other forbearance to, and loan modifications as necessary to minimize the financial impact, um, the, the crisis from the financial, excuse me, the the impact upon the borrowers. Um, we've not confirmed this, but it appears that both Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are doing the same thing. So in short, these things are also rapidly evolving, but um, before you uh, make a final decision about an eviction or foreclosure, check about more times in your local community. And as I said, they, uh, in some jurisdictions, are discussing them on the commercial side as well as on the residential side.
1: Kathy, thanks. Um, so, a couple of just high-level points to to wrap up um, what, what Kathy said first. You know, in, in terms of deadlines, particularly jurisdictional matters, you have to be very, very careful. Our general counsel is advising us to be extremely careful on these things because some of these orders – That are being issued just might not apply. And so you just have to be careful on those things. And then clearly from a court perspective, this mirrors, you know, 07, 08, you're you're just not going to get into court anytime soon. Um, And when you do, you're going to find some significant headwinds from a very lenient, overwhelmed court. And so, to to our points earlier, it's good right now to sort of take just accept that and shore up whatever you can now in your papers to be ready for that. So when the the court does free up, you can take advantage of that. Um, next, uh, we have the pleasure of having David Harrison, who I introduced earlier, talk about from the client side. What are you doing, David, um, to prepare for this? I mean, these are. Uh, at least in the last 13 years, unprecedented times. How are you from a logistical perspective or otherwise preparing uh, your team for this? Sure.
6: Thanks. Um, Appreciate the opportunity to talk, you know, uh, Obviously what I say here is confined to to Midland and what we're doing but uh, you know I would say anecdotally off the top that you know and anyone who's heard me speak at a conference when we used to be able to be in front of each other recently I would tell you that the state of servicing both master and special has never been in better shape and has never had a more talented well-oriented and experienced group of professionals working in it and it's time for that industry to prove its worth and to get out and do it and I think we're fortunate that this is happening well. We're not fortunate this is happening, clearly, I, but we're, it, it, we are better situated to, put, to deal with it now as an industry than we have it in the past. Clearly, there is a ton of panic. You're scared for your health, for your life, for your kids, for everything that's going on. Businesses are closing, hotels are shutting down, malls are shuttered, all this stuff is happening and people are in a near full-on panic mode as it relates to finance, managing these investments and managing these loans and properties. And what's important for us to do and remember in this instance is... We have technology in the documents, we have process, and we have really smart women and men who have been preparing for this and working for this and who are ready to move forward with this. I don't mean to trivialize at all the volume and the scale of what's coming, but it is important, unless you want to get lost in panic and chaos, you have got to take a breath and step back and rely on the structure and the people that are in place to deal with the situations there. That said, the stuff that's rolling in right now is hospitality. The numbers are mind-boggling. They're unprecedented. The amount of requests that we're getting coming in for forbearance, short-term modifications are over, uh, you know, 150 before our our, uh, gentleman who's running the the mailbox effort on the email platform went to bed at 2 in the morning this morning, and they keep coming in. Right there, there are there are hotels closing. There are real jobs being lost. There are facilities that are being shuttered. Um, you know, our job on forbearing or or, or managing those is is really twofold. As, as Rick had mentioned, you have to look and see. What happens after this forbearance? Let's say you put in insert number of dates, call it 90 and assume that after 90 we're back to some form of semblance of normality, which I don't think will be the case. But let's pretend it is. What happens after that? Where is this borrower and this sponsor taking the property after that? If they're coming to Midland as a special and saying, I've shut the property, I've fired the employees, and I need forbearance like those three things don't go together what you need is a quick trip to special servicing so that we can start managing what will be a very challenging recovery on that asset however if a borrower and sponsor comes and says listen i've furloughed employees i'm down to a skeleton staff i'm looking for ways to fill the hotel with 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 medical with with recovery with doctors with first responders i i'm asking for forbearance that's consistent with what our brand standard is putting out waving F- F&E, you know, further looking for some uh, amortization relief or full payment relief, that is a party that needs a forbearance agreement. Now, the problem is right now, most people are on the panic stage in their response, except for the very large, sophisticated sponsors and borrowers. They're just like you were the random person I'm pointing to on the phone when you saw that image of lines out the door at Costco. You said, I got to get to the Costco. They, so people are doing the same thing here. We're We are the Costco. We are the provider of relief. And most people are showing up with a hip shot panic, I need help, and I've shut the thing down. So we are dealing with a tremendous number of inquiries inbound and email. And and where the real problem comes, and I hate to sound insensitive on this, is phone calls. Borrowers want to talk, and I get it. I want to talk. I want to talk to everyone. I spend so much time on the phone because I want to hear a human. I want to know what's going on. And I want to hear what the answer sounds like and not just see it typed out. But we just can't talk to everyone right now. And if we do, it's at the expense of everyone else who's piled up before or after that. So all the specials, all the masters are culling through this. Nobody is interested in racking up frictional cost, court time, legal fees, and, and transactional agita over a loan that shouldn't be in special. If there's a, a smart forbearance, As Rick said, not one size fits all. We will look at it, we will execute it, and we will move on to the next one. But if it needs to go into special servicing, it needs to go. And we have, as do the others, the best asset managers in the business ready to work it out. It's really just a volume game. Logistically, a snapshot of what we're doing at Midland We have the ability to double our capacity of loans right now without hiring a single other asset manager. A lot of stuff that our special servicing women and men were doing before this garbage is gone in terms of, of of supporting buyers on on different types of assets and doing underwriting. So we have the ability to double our capacity right now. We have, you know, we're part of a 55,000 person bank. There's quite a few able-bodied men and women in there that we have reached to. And if we need to, I'm pretty confident we can hire right now. There's obviously a logistical challenge of wearing a hazmat suit when you welcome them into the office, but there's a lot of women and men who need jobs right now so we can hire and get them. You can hear the the, the edge and the pace of my, my tone and my voice. Part of that is because I want to make sure we leave time for Q&A. But part of it is, you know, we, everyone, everyone at Midland, everyone at the other Masters and Specials, the, the past two weeks have been unlike any other two weeks we've had and the strain and the stress is there and people are working very hard and they're also taking care of their families and their friends and their groceries and trying to have a cocktail on the driveway 10 feet away from their next door neighbor so the world is at a stressed high friction point and we are doing the absolute best that we can to help manage through that with with great partners like our host here today with receivers brokers all the resources that we need but we just have to take a breath while the tide keeps coming in and know that we have the ability to manage it and as my mom always says even on your darkest day the sun always rises it always rises it always sets let's stay focused let's work on what we know and let's do it the way we know how to do it and we can get this done as an industry
1: um david thank you you know um from my perspective, I have spent the last week thinking about staffing and, in particular, just trying to build a platform in the event this thing goes south. Um, and so I think it is important because most most staffs, I think, have been leaned up over the last several years. Um, this is unanticipated. So certainly, um, some thought should be given to that. Um, Alexander, have we received any questions by email? And if not, um, we can certainly... Um, open it up for uh, questions.
7: Uh, hi, I have a couple of questions, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, who's this?
7: Uh, this is Keith Honig from Pacific Life. How are you? Hey, good. How are you?
1: Hey, Keith. Good, good to hear um, from you.
7: Hi, hey guys. Hey, um, quickly, on people shuttering up uh, facilities like hotels and other things, uh, I'm mindful of the WARN Act, where you're supposed to give people you know 60 days notice and that type of thing. Is there an exemption for when you're shutting because of, uh, of this type of emergency for one? And then two, um, we're getting obviously calls from retail uh, landlords that their tenants are trying to exercise their force majeure clauses and say, oh, it's impossibility of performance. I can't keep paying your rent. And obviously that flows up. Um, so I just would love to get your viewpoint on those two items if possible. Thank you.
3: I can grab. This is Dan Weedy. I can grab. I'm not a. Uh, I'm a. I'm a real estate hotel real estate attorney, with uh with some uh, passing familiarity with Warren. And as you know, so Warren has some safe harbors. So you would have to have. I believe it's over a hundred um, uh, um, employees to trigger it. If you're over that, if you have a big property, I don't know of any. I mean, it's a, it's a good question. I don't. It's a, it's it's designed for you know the big uh, big. Uh, like manufacturers, think car plants, and think Detroit and mass layoffs. But it can be applied in the hospitality uh, arena. Uh, I do not know of any exemption because it wouldn't be a mass layoff, right? You, yeah, you know, we were full capacity a week ago. Now we're at you know less than five percent. So, um, I, I that's to say that's a novel um, uh, question. And I believe if you if you have a really large property and you let them all go, you ought to probably reach out to legal counsel. Uh, the second question was force majeure. What was the, I'm sorry. It was, it was, what was the specific about force majeure and impossibility in a restaurant context? Is that what it was?
7: Uh, it's, it's actually a mall context where the owner of the mall, who's a borrower is contacting us. Uh,
3: um,
7: you know, they're, try- they're, they're temporarily shut down, but, uh, they're saying that their tenants, uh, uh, a lot of them have notified the, uh, the mall owner that they're not going to keep paying, um, because of their force majeure clauses in their underlying leases, um, but you know, sorry, I don't know why. that because we
3: don't I, get involved. Yeah, I would be surprised if they had force majeure. I, I didn't. You know, I'm not looking at. It. I'd be surprised if if a sophisticated landlord like a mall landlord had uh, had force majeure to allow a tenant not to pay um, uh, on force majeure. It's but uh, they, they probably have been just been saying, I can't do it. I mean, force majeure, does it really matter, right? Does force majeure, if you can't make a payment, does it really matter if you're pointing to force majeure and they can't make the payment? That gets back to what we were originally talking about earlier in this. We're just going to have to, you know, kind of both sides will have to work together. But I don't think, you know, tenants are going to be successful in force majeure. They may have, if it's impossible, if if you were saying, if the government says it's now against the law to congregate in um, groups of greater than 50 or 100, and you have to shut down these establishments, kind of like. in Northern Italy was doing that. Of course, we saw that in China. Then it could be. Ill, and then, if it's illegal, then you could have that. If it, if it, that would that would be strong evidence of of impossibility. So I think it is something that um that, that is out there. I don't think a lot of this is going to turn on that. And in loan documents, if you really drill down on your loan documents, a lot of that is waived in your form. You know, in the most sophisticated lenders have that waived. Um, in their form documents,
1: yeah, and this is Donald. You know, I think um, from the, the 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 tenant raising that issue perspective, um, it doesn't really. I don't think change much. I mean, the, the the standards are the same. Dan set them out earlier, which is very difficult, unlikely to apply. But um, I think there's the pragmatic side of it, which is courts are going to you know be a little gun shy. The landlord can't evict, anyways. It's going to take some time, and so there's the practical impact of that. And if they're telling you about it, <clears throat> I think you just tell them, "Look, it is what it is." It's we don't, we haven't looked at your documents. Generally speaking, this is you know the way it looks like. But I mean, they've got to wrestle with that themselves. Um, the the provisions are unlikely to provide a payment defense. But um, it's certainly going to cause some delays. There's no question. In terms of the WARN Act, um, we will um, get you an answer. Uh, I think that there is an exception for national uh, uh, natural disasters. Um, it's unclear if that applies to viruses. Um, but there are things such as unforeseen business circumstances that is an exception. You know, that applies if there's closings and layoffs that are caused by business circumstances that are not reasonably foreseeable at a time uh, when the notice would have otherwise been required, this seems like it would fit within that, but you know this is unprecedented, and so it's uh it's hard to say if that that exception would stick but you know if you email one of us, we'll certainly look into that. Are there any other uh, questions you can hit pound pound one hey Hello? Harrison,
6: i i've actually got a question here um, yeah we we're seeing the potential for um, federal relief for the hospitality industry, right? And and frankly, um, as we discussed, on the, for those of you who were on the Crest C call earlier this morning, there's the potential for federal relief for every major industry. The question is, how do we need to think about, and admittedly it's too, it might be too soon because we don't even know what the relief is, but let's assume that there is relief passed for the hotel industry. How do we need to layer that into thinking about approaching uh, special servicing and, you know, maybe less so forbearance, but just dealing with, with, with borrowers, i.e. if we throw someone in special on Monday and on Friday, they get relief. Um, you know, are, any thoughts from the, the attorneys um, or practitioners on the phone on how to manage that?
1: You know, this is Donald. I, I will say one thing, um, and that is the timing to get the relief um, through the government. I think is going to be um, long. Uh, you know, if history shows, there's a lot of bureaucracy. There's a you know, the, the government's not ready for this, and in the timing to get material assets, funds, relief um, beyond just a thousand, two thousand dollars to a family is going to take some time. And so I think how long that is, it's hard to say, but I I can't imagine it would be days. I think it would probably be in the form of uh, weeks, if not several weeks or months. Um, and, and while that comes, you know, it is just, I would imagine some sort of, unless there's a moratorium on foreclosure, unless there's a moratorium on taking it back. I mean, you're just talking about a borrower that's going to get some, some funds. And I think you would need to look at it from a case by case perspective in terms of, okay, you know, are we willing to wait that long? I mean, you're probably going to be willing to wait some period of time just because of the state of affairs right now, but are you going to be willing to wait that long for some funds, and if so, does that fix any fundamental issues that the business had to begin with, setting aside the coronavirus? Um, so that would be my initial thought. I know. I hope that helped at all. Anybody else have any thoughts on that question? Yeah,
3: this is, this is Dan. I mean, if you're, I don't know that there's going to be a lot. of – I imagine you're, the lenders You're going to have to give the deferrals, right? I mean, just that's just reality. There's no. There's no one in these hotels. They can't make payments. So if they did, if there were some deferral, you know, it's linking that to say if federal legislation comes and sort of makes you whole, if that is, if there is something that addresses it, we should be able to, we should be able to get some of that or that, you know, sort of talk about that up front of what's that uh, in. Cause right now, usually you give something to get something. Well, now you're just giving something and you're getting nothing. So if there is something at the end of that, because of the federal government, I think that's, I think that's fair to discuss with, the borrower, what, you know, how much of that uh, should come to the lender to, or, you know, uh, uh, to make you whole. Yeah. And one
5: one other thought is that the the legislation isn't in place yet, but it may have policy that requires the money to be used for certain things, and it may or may not include or exclude lenders, particularly if they're trying to get it in the hands of employers to give to employees to lessen the, the human impact of everything.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, it is 155. Uh We have time for one more question. We got an email. Uh, here's the question. What are your thoughts on using DocuSign for the execution of the FBA or loan mods during this time? Will this still be enforceable without a wet signature? Um, Rick, I think you've, you've looked at this issue before. You want to briefly address it before um, I wrap things up?
4: Sure, sure. Um, I think it's going to be state-specific. Um, You know, certain states have allow uh, e-signatures with electronic notarization. Um, I think each state will look at it differently. I think the lenders will make a determination whether they're going to accept it or not. I don't think there's a clear answer Um, But, you know, every business is looking at how they're going to allow this. We had that run around our firm today in terms of, you know, allowing disbursements from trust and how we're going to do it. So I think it's going to be case-by-case state-by-state.
6: State. Yeah. Hey, Rick. Rick. I, I, Harrison, uh, r- real quick here on that. I actually uh, was uh, pounding on Crepsey's door earlier this week, um, specifically with the uh, the reps that we have up on the Hill on this issue, as were other servicers. And as of yesterday, um our our good friend senator kramer from north dakota uh, introduced legislation that will allow remote online notarization nationally and provide for interstate recognition of it as well so if we can get that through which seems to me like a no-brainer but you should never say that when you are talking about the hill um, that would be a great positive step in in solving what is a lot of uh one of their issues with getting 100% work from home is the need to, you know, sit and have a notary and three witnesses who don't know what they're signing or what it's about sign things and uh, um, notarize things. So that could be a big
4: pop. Absolutely. That, that would, And that's why, you know, again, it's been state by state. If it was federally mandated, it would make life a lot easier for the entire industry and for a lot of industries. For the record, I will take complete and full credit for that. Thank you.
1: Well, thanks for both of those comments. Um, We're butting up on the two o'clock hour. And I know we've uh, been receiving some questions by email. um, And we promise we'll get back to you um, offline. Um, So so look, uh, we we hope that this has been helpful for everybody. Um, The next couple of months are going to be crazy. Um, But it's not unprecedented. Um, This resembles, you know, seven and eight. I mean, it just does. And and that, I think that experience that you you should have, your team should have, will bring some measure of calm. I do have a couple final wrap-up points. First, uh, we may have another one of these next week to address you know, one-off topics that we're getting. For instance, yesterday um, I was asked questions about governmental taking. Uh, what are the remedies in that circumstance if your borrower's ass- uh, assets are taken for-, for government uses? And in fact, during this call, um, I got an email about a California bankruptcy where the hospitals that are closed are being potentially resurrected by the California um, government for corona uses. So that might be an issue. But if there's an appetite for another one of these calls next week, we're happy to do it. And what we would ask you to do is just to email us and let us know if there is such an appetite and if so, what some of those topics are. So please do that. Second, look, this is happening in lightning speed. We're doing this on the fly. You know, we would also ask for your feedback, good or bad. So please email with that and any other questions you have. So with that, um, I thank everybody's time and effort for participating and listening. We hope you found it helpful, and we wish you the best of luck in the coming weeks.
0: Thanks. You've been listening to the Carlton Fields podcast series. For information and business guidance on issues related to the coronavirus, visit our Coronavirus Resource Center at carltonfields.com forward slash coronavirus. This podcast is intended for general information and educational purposes only and should not be relied on as if it were advice about a particular fact situation. The distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and receipt of it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship with Carlton Fields. Thanks for listening.